Vale of the Ciliors, A.D. 458 Fog sashes the wastes of trees in the dark valley. Massive, primeval trees with thick interlocking boughs through which moonlight splashes. A small company of riders moves hurriedly in the diffuse light, clinging to the slender necks of their ponies. Leaf litter of a thousand summers muffles their nimble hoof-falls, and they flow along wide avenues between the trees in fleet, watery shadows. At their lead, Egrain, the thirteen-year-old queen of the Celts, streams white veils behind her, a wraith flying through the moony air. Her bare-chested male companions, swords strapped across their shoulders, follow vigilantly, the wind of their flight brushing back long hair and thick moustaches. They wear leather footgear, buckskin trousers, and the gold throat bands that identify them as the Queen's Guard, the Fianna. Their destination is close by, a tarn where dragon heat percolates and where, at the full of the moon, a branch of the great tree touches earth. The queen intends to climb the tree. In swift pursuit, less than a league behind, the dread Celt warrior Kaina leads a band of his fiercest comrades, intent on stopping the queen. The druids have sent them. The priests with sight know that she can do what she claims, that she can accomplish what none other has done in living memory. Climb the great tree. But the priests with sight cannot see into the tree, and what they cannot see, they cannot control. The druids, both seers and politicians, will not relinquish control of their queen and her fanatic followers. The power has belonged to the ruling class of druids for centuries, and they are not about to squander it on an unpredictable child sorceress. So they have forbidden her to climb, and they have found for her a husband to keep her carefully bound to earth a Roman, or at least what has passed for Roman, out here in the furthest-flung outpost of the fallen empire. She will not climb into the Netherlands beyond the sight. The patriarchal druids are determined, and, if her defiance persists, the question of her authority will be answered by Kyna's blade. Death cannot daunt this queen. She herself has the sight, and more. She knows the mysteries of talismanic magic. She remembers them from her former life. If her assault on heaven fails this time, if Kyna's sword cuts her life knot, she will return. She will try again. The queen is determined to come back as often as she must, for she knows this truth. The fate of peoples, of nations and empires, is forged not on human battlefields, but in the Netherlands, by gods, living gods, who can be wounded and healed. To save her people, she will pit her ancient magic against these mortal gods. In a sepulchral glade, filled with the soft, fluid light of the full moon, the Queen's party pauses as she feels for direction. Talismans that she and her Fianna have left behind them, dangling from branches through the last three leagues of the forest, glitter like wind chimes in her mind. They block the sight and protect her from the druid's surveillance. Also, they warn off pursuers, for their meaning is indisputable bone assemblages bound in barbs of razor wire, sculpted to resemble chains of small, precise human skulls. 
The young queen and her party know that these barbarous fetishes will not intimidate Kaina. He and his battle-toughened troops are Christian Celts. The night throbs with silence. While the Fianna listen apprehensively for the mute thunder of Kaina's approach, the queen lifts her freckled face, and her fair, pubescent features compose themselves sleepily. Her mind feels inward for the time winds, as ever they blow through her in frail, jostling currents, untraceable filaments knotting into ghostly wisps and webworks of chill feeling. The direction to the tarn is clear to her, a platinum breeze sluicing across the glade from directly ahead, but that is not what she seeks. She feels for other directions, any without the iciness of death in them. None offer themselves.